This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, hey, I'm Brittany Luce, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, a show where we talk about what's going on in culture and why it doesn't happen by accident. And today, we're looking back at all the great music from 2023. In my humble opinion, it was a great year for music. And my guests, they think so too. Music is better than ever. Better than ever. That's a big claim. That's Nate Sloan, one of the co-hosts of the podcast Switched on Pop. He and his co-host, Charlie Harding, are some of the brightest minds in music journalism today. I sat down with both of them to talk about the big trends this year and to learn what albums are at the top of their own charts. Nate, Charlie, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thanks for having us. Brittany, so great to be here. Oh my gosh, so happy to have you all here. I personally have enjoyed this year in music, but also I feel like there's been some big shifts and big trends that have been cresting this year that are a little different than what we've seen in the past couple. But before I go on and on about what I think, I would love to hear what you both think were the biggest trends that you saw happening in pop this year. Nate, we'll start with you. What was catching your ears? I think one of the biggest things that Charlie and I noticed was the importance of celebrity in the world of music in 2023. I mean, this year was ruled by two people, Taylor and Beyonce. And their celebrity was like a lunar eclipse that just blocked out (laughs) the sun for so many other artists and cultural moments. Something is happening on the charts that we haven't really seen in a long time, at least, which Mm -hmm. is that some of the older songs from these artists are coming back onto the charts, right? Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer is a Hot 100 song right now. That was a song I had literally never heard before in my life. And then I felt like every time I opened up TikTok, it was staring me in the face. Yeah, the, these artists are like breaking some of the rules of how the popular music industry works just from like the sheer power of their celebrity. This is kind of a, a new ecosystem for the music industry. Yeah, we somehow simultaneously live in a world where we have a completely fragmented, non-monoculture. You are constantly discovering new songs on TikTok, and yet yeah. it's harder than ever for those artists, I think, to find staying power when there are compounding growth effects for these major celebrities. And I, I do think that Nate left one big celebrity out. Let's not forget about Barbie. Barbie <laughs> gave us some of the biggest hits of this year. We had Nicki Minaj and his Ice Spice with Barbie World. Yeah. And I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a doll, but I still want to party. Dua Lipa, Dance the Night. Watch me. Dance, dance the night away. We had Billie Eilish with What Was I Made For? What was I made for? Those songs were enormous and tied to one of the, well, I, uh, she's not a celebrity, but she's a celebrity, right? Yeah. Barbie. Yeah. That makes me think about something, one of my NPR colleagues, Blal Qureshi, was talking about, he wrote an essay about, you know, Billion Girl Summer. 
mm-hmm. which is basically Taylor, Beyonce, Barbie. Beyonce didn't release any new music this year. She just <laughs> went on tour. Right. I was actually <laughs> offended when Renaissance wasn't listed at the Grammys for 2023. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Yeah, it's like that was last year. <laughs> You're like, she was snubbed again. But at the same time, what's so fascinating about 2023 is that there are all these surprising smaller artists who have made their way into the charts, onto the top of streaming and radio play. Like one of the coolest trends we saw in 2023 sonically was the explosion of Mexican regional music. Artists like Peso Pluma. being like the number five streamed artist globally, yeah. crashing the charts, that was probably not on anyone's bingo card. And what, and what a cool no. contrast to like the, the dominance of, of Taylor and Beyonce and all these other artists. I think that the popularity of Peso Pluma and like Mexican regional music, which like, I know there's like a lot in the name. Alt Latino has a great story on it. They should go listen. Yes. Good shout out to our colleagues. But yes, absolutely. NPR plug. Nice. NPR plug. Yes. But uh, Mexican regional, it encapsulates a lot of different musical styles. But I don't know. One of the things that's so interesting about Peso Pluma's music is like it has this sound that feels like a really interesting and fun departure from so much of the music in Spanish that that manages to become popular in the United States. Like it doesn't have that 808 bass, like no electronics. Like you all recently talked about this on your show and you made a great point connecting Mexican regional music to like the interests of young American Latinos who grew up listening to their parents' music. It's so interesting what that might say about the changing demographics of our country and also of music listenership. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, it's worth pointing out that the rise of Spanish-speaking music globally is is so significant, right? Reggaeton is really like the most listened yeah. to genre globally. On Spotify's global top 10 artists, three of them are reggaeton artists. Yeah. So much of that music has become pop music. And also there has been some talk about a uh, drop in like rap listenership in, right. you know, in American music. In the grand scheme of things, I think it is somewhat marginal, but I also think that like the popularity of reggaeton has something to do with that. Like I think, I think that there's a way that those two things are connected. Like you're getting a similar sensibility in some ways, but with a sound that is different than the sound that's been dominant in hip hop for the past, however long. Right. And, and of course, all of the sounds of hip hop are constantly bleeding into all other genres. I mean, it's still the really one of the dominant sources of, of creativity. And you can hear hip hop flows even in Taylor's latest work. You certainly hear it in Ed Sheeran's work. Mm-hmm. You hear the, just the, the, the mixing and blending of different styles, even, even Drake. You know, we expect all different kinds of vocal performance from him at this point. Some of these boundaries are probably looser than ever as genres just explode in new numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Do genres exist anymore? I think it's something that people have been speculating <laughs> for a long time, but certainly the way that Spotify accounts for it, they have thousands and thousands and thousands of micro genres that are built to try to reflect the diverse ways in which people are listening. Coming up, we discuss why country music is both divisive and popular. Stick around. On the TED Radio Hour... In the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness, and he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. 
the news can feel incredibly overwhelming. For a breath of much-needed fresh air, head to NPR.org's culture section. From the buzzy movies, tiny desk, and artists that everyone seems to know about, type in NPR.org for the latest and greatest in the pop culture universe. The world of podcasts can feel overwhelming. We'll let you in on the easiest way to find your next favorite show. Head to npr.org slash podcast. From politics to pop culture to music and everything in between, you'll find a selection of shows that'll make you a super fan in no time. What's happening on NPR Podcasts? More neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get back to the show, we want to take a minute to say thank you so much to our It's Been a Minute Plus supporters and anyone listening who donates to public media. After all, public media means that you, the public, support it. Everything you hear from the NPR network really does depend on your contributions. And for anyone listening who isn't a supporter yet, right now is a great time to get actively involved in creating a more informed public. That's been our whole mission at NPR. That's why we're here. If you like Perks, It's Been a Minute Plus offers sponsor-free listening. If you just want to make a tax-deductible donation to your favorite station or stations in the NPR network, that's great too. We've even had NPR Plus subscribers make additional contributions. What really matters is that you are a part of the community that makes this work possible. Your donation now funds the news and podcasts that expand your horizons, connect you to exciting ideas and people, and inspire you every day. Please give today at donate.npr.org slash minute or explore NPR plus at plus.npr.org. Thank you so much. Speaking of genres and different genre explosions, this has been a huge year. For country music. Yeah. Yeah. I remember everything by Zach Bryan and Casey Musgraves. Love my girl Spacey Casey. Oh yeah. But then there's also like the more controversial songs and artists like mm-hmm. uh, Jason Aldean and Morgan Wallen, the fast car remake of the famous Tracy Chapman song. You got a fast car. And I want to take it to anywhere. Jelly Roll. I did not know yeah. who this man was a month ago, and then I saw his testimony of <laughs> an acceptance speech for winning, I think, Best New Artist at the CMAs this year. I want to tell you it's going to be okay. I want to tell you that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. And he's now, you know, up for a Best New Artist Grammy Award next year. Like, why do you think country music had such a huge year in 2023? Well, part of the reason is that the kind of culture war surrounding this music has has thrust it into the spotlight. Country has kind of become a proxy for, like, so many of the larger cultural social divisions. Hmm. So... You know, there's this weird phenomenon where an artist like one of the ones you mentioned, Morgan Wallen, will do something controversial and then his fans will say, we have to support him by streaming his music and sending Mm. him up to the top of the charts. 
Another example was this artist, Oliver Anthony, who had a viral song, Rich Men North of Richmond. These rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have This became sort of a political rallying cry for listeners. Let's boost this up to the top of the charts by and, and stick it and stick it to the liberals, essentially, by, by streaming mm-hmm. this song. So that's like partially explaining the numbers. The other thing is that country is incredibly popular and not just in terms of like political camps. It's a popular sound. It's yeah, it's the new methods that we use to measure listening habits just seem to reflect that a little bit more because usually country was like the domain of radio. And so mm. that was where it really thrived. Now country is moving into the the world of streaming and and YouTube. And so now we're seeing, oh yeah, actually a lot of people like country and not just people in rural America, not just people in the South. I live in Los Angeles. I'm driving down the 110 highway, looking at the billboard for Crypto.com Arena, Zach Bryan, two nights, sold out. It's like, this is, you know, everyone listens to country. It's an urban phenomenon. It's a rural phenomena. We're just starting to see that actually reflected in some of the metrics of music listening habits. Hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. I think that another component is that, you know, we, we were talking about how the sound of hip hop bleeds into every other genre. And that's true. When you listen to Morgan Wallen, you hear his vocal phrasing that is borrowed from hip hop flow. And you see him mm-hmm. collaborating with hip hop artists like Lil Durk. Country has found ways to become more relevant while also holding on to the tradition of perceived authenticity that is so important to that genre. So I think there's like a kind of numbers game in terms of the charts and the listening metrics better reflecting how many people listen to country and then also artists finding ways to make their music more appealing to a really wide audience. Hmm. 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 So interesting that you talk about that because it makes me just think about like, I don't know if this is like something that is happening along gender lines or if it's marking a shift. But when I think about artists like Taylor Swift, Casey Musgraves, or even going back to like Shania Twain, it feels Mm -hmm. like when there's a popular woman in country who wants to capture a wider audience and play that numbers game, Mm. in some circles or in some ways can kind of become a persona non grata. You're kind of just like... Oh, so frequently outcast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is that that, it just happens over and over again. The, The crossover of female country artists is treated very differently, I think, than when male country artists decide to throw an 808 beat on their song and, and you know, and, and sort of play act in, in, in the world and sounds of hip hop. That's so interesting. Jason Aldean has done that. Yeah. You know, his song this year, which, you know, includes dog whistles to lynching, try that in a small town. We'll try that in a small town. He previously has used hip hop sounds in his tracks and him doing this very sort of like 90s maximalist country song today, which might sound authentic, is just showing, you know, an artist who feels very comfortable taking sounds, borrowing, playing with this idea of authenticity and and not having the same kind of vitriol that so many female artists have when they try to reach a larger audience. Hmm. Hmm. I want to turn for a second to some music or non-music, depending on who you ask, that's been put out this year by not artists. Ah, right. I feel like this was the year of AI. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> AI everywhere. But like, I recently saw a video of like this brunette kind of like AI Taylor Swift seeming character called Anna <laughs> Indiana singing mm-hmm. about like burning down her hometown. This town is full of broken dreams, shattered hopes and silent screams. 
I mean, the song was, it was not good. I, I listened no, to it. No, it's not, it was not good. good. That felt kind of sinister and weird. But I have to admit, I was kind of tickled by this video <laughs> that my producer, Liam, showed me of an AI SpongeBob and Patrick singing Chloe and Hallie's Ungodly <laughs> Hour. Hit me with your eyes. I never seen I can't coffee. You walking over here. To me, it was kind of like a good use case for AI music, if there even is one. I'm not sure there is one. But if there is one, it's like a silly little thing that like, you're not going to make money from it. It's not really competing with the artist. Yeah. Where are you seeing AI enter into pop? Are consumers into it? How do y'all feel about it? I think AI and music right now is currently in its sort of gimmick phase, right? We're all very curious about this uh, terrifying and enticing new technology, which is actively developing and getting better week by week. Most of the use cases we've seen have been using vocal resynthesis, which -hmm. is basically make your voice sound like somebody else's voice, right? There was that famous non-Drake Drake Drake song by someone Mm -hmm. in Ghostwriter. I think the story of that song was mostly driven by, oh, wow, you can you can impersonate someone else. That's kind of scary. Uh, and in reality, it's it, the person had to still write that song, do the rap, have a good flow. Mm-hmm. There have been plenty of other examples of silly, make a cartoon character sing like a rapper or, or what have you. So we're in the gimmick phase. I was asked by uh, our podcasting friends at the Verge cast to go and try to make an AI song. And so I partnered up with a producer named Ian Kimmel and we tried to our very best to use only AI tools to produce a song. And all it did was make it significantly harder to try to make something any bit useful. All of the existing tools that musicians have today, I think, are significantly better than the AI tools that exist for making music at this moment. But as I said, they're changing rapidly. There's probably a couple of counterexamples, things like stem removal, where you can remove a vocal from an Mm. instrumentation. That's something new that you couldn't do before. There are some AI plugins that help you maybe get to a finished product a little bit faster. But I think for, for professional musicians, there's not very many AI tools that are useful yet. doesn't mean that it's not going to radically change. I just think that we are in this gimmick period. But watch that space. It's going to change very rapidly. Hmm. In terms of being able to sustain a living, how is AI going to affect that? That's something that came up in the actors and writer strikes in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, this, it's something that it should concern musicians as well. Also makes me think about Spotify. Spotify announced that it's going to pay artists even less in royalties. And obviously, Spotify is not the only, you know, music streaming service that you could use, but it's arguably the most prominent one that's affecting artists from the top to the bottom. But even like indie artists are concerned about the platform Bandcamp after a bunch of its staff was laid off this year. So it kind of seems like in many ways, music streaming is bleaker than ever. How are you seeing that affect the artists making these songs that we all love so much? I think the music streaming ecosystem is definitely at a maturation part of its business cycle. They have accumulated many of the potential users that they're going to sign up. And so growth is going to likely slow. And so they have to raise prices. They have to figure out how to appease their partners, labels and artists. You know, I do think the Spotify pricing story is a bit misunderstood Spotify announced that they're going to be changing the way that they pay. If you get less than a thousand streams a year, you know, the equivalent of like 
less than five dollars, mm-hmm. they're not going to pay that out. And part of the reason why is that the distribution partners that they then pay to places like DistroKid don't even pay you until you reach a certain dollar figure anyway. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's like all these pennies and dollars floating around the music ecosystem mm-hmm. that are equivalent to millions and millions of dollars, but are kind of like sitting in bank accounts of distributors. And so what Spotify is doing is basically saying you have to earn a number of a certain number of lessons, you know, you're gonna have to get paid out at least like 10 bucks or so, you know, roughly. And all that money that is not going to be received for the under a thousand listens, that will actually go back into the pool of payments for all of the rest of the artists who do have over a 1,000 listens. So hopefully those who are getting more listens will get paid more and this sort of rounding error they're trying to account for. I think it's been a bit overblown. Bandcamp is a much more serious issue where if you're an independent artist, you probably rely heavily on Bandcamp as a place right, to, to right, sell right, your right. materials. And, and the fact that, that that company keeps getting bought and sold and gutted, I think will have a much more even significant impact on, on the indie music scene going forward. Hmm. Hmm. I do. I think people there. There's an increasing awareness of the the plight, essentially, of the artists in the 2020s, and in the face of these large systems that are conspiring yeah. to exploit them. So, I hope that there is some cloud of possibility here for for something good. And at the same time, while the business maybe has been bleak, I feel like musically we have seen a lot of fun, creative changes that are worth highlighting. Yes. To be clear, music is better than ever. Better than ever. That's a big claim. (laughs) The music is doing great. (laughs) Coming up, we dive into our favorite albums of 2023. Stay with us. Hey, it's Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Up First podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR Network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network. NPR brings you the updates you need on the day's biggest headlines. The Senate narrowly passed the debt ceiling bill that will prevent the country from defaulting on its loans. Stories from across the world. Knowing how to forage and to live with the land is integral to Amis culture. And down your block. From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. And you can find all of that and more in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. I would love to switch into your favorite music of this year. What have you been listening to the most? What were your favorite albums of 2023? I think Nate and I have both selected two favorite albums. Oh. I spent a lot of the beginning of the year listening to Caroline Polachek's Desire, I Want Mm. to Turn Into You. This album pulls on the sounds of 90s dance music and lounge music, even working with uh, stars like Dido as collaborators. Remember what's gone before, not loaded with regret. 
I just feel like she is a holistic artist in which everything feels so deliberate. Her lyrical choices, her melodic choices, and when you see her perform, the choreo that goes along to each song, her vocal is unlike any other using this upper register. Totally stuns me. So I loved Caroline Polachek's record. My other favorite was Mitski's album, The Land is Inhospitable, and So Are We. I think I spun that more than anything else. And she's been writing up the charts with her song, My Love, Mine, All Mine. Which was, again, a, a TikTok hit, but has been on the Hot 100 and for me is my future nostalgia. Wait, the Dua Lipa album? Yeah. <laughs> Please <because explain. laughs> I think it sounds like the future and nostalgia because on My Love, Mine, All Mine, she's contemplating what happens after death. She's uh, singing out into the heavens. She's thinking about uh, what happens centuries into the future while using sounds of the past. It sounds like this dusty, grainy, old recording. She is using the pedal steel to evoke this sort of ghostly aura to the song. And so sonically, it feels like we're in the past. Lyrically, we're in the future. She makes these sounds that feel like they are totally timeless. So that's why it's a future nostalgia to me. Oh, I like that. Those are good. Those are good choices. What about you, Nate? My first favorite album, it's SZA's S.O.S. I've been listening to it the entire year. <laughs> You're responsible for her streaming numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, songs like Kill Bill and Snooze are still like in the top 10. When I'm with you, how can I snooze and miss the moment you it yeah. is a, a remarkable run she's had, especially because I find this record to be one of the more experimental and, and progressive like hit records of, of recent vintage. The way that SZA creates her melodies is, is so unexpected and goes in these directions that you can never predict. It's a nice analog to her lyrics, which are so vulnerable and open there's a way that when I listen to this, I'm like, wow, this is the antidote to the melodic math approach of people like mm. Taylor Swift, where every syllable mm. is kind of perfectly placed. Mm. Her her music just like kind of flows and expands and contracts in this really organic way. And I, I love that people are connecting with it. I'm a huge fan of the album. It ranges from R&B to emo and everything in between. I think it's been the soundtrack of my year. And I think I journalistically am required to fact check you, Nate, and say that technically SOS came out in December 22, but things that come out in December never get counted in the year-end review stuff because all the year-end review stuff happens usually at the very beginning of December or end of November, and thus Mm. it was left off of all of the major lists of last year. And so even though, Nate, you're wrong, I actually think you're right. I'm inclined to agree. Well, I, I, thank you for the emendation. <laughs> forgive me, listeners. Forgive me, NPR audience. And yet I'm going to stick with that pick because it was the soundtrack of my year. I feel very confident that my second release can be firmly planted in 
Anno Domini 2023. It's okay. Andre 3000's new blue sun. Whoa. If you know Andre 3000, you know him as one of the most dexterous and verbose rappers to ever hit the scene as part of the mm-hmm. iconic Atlanta hip hop duo Outcast. And yet his latest release, his first in years, is a completely instrumental album featuring his flute playing. It's tranquil, it's meditative. It has given us the longest song to ever appear on the Hot 100, clocking in at over 12 minutes. So the fact (laughs) that this album can be so successful, even though it's like so different from anything you would expect from this artist... I just love that, and I've been I've been listening to it a ton, and I'm a flutist myself, so I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I feel like there is a long term wish fulfillment in this pick because all I want for <laughs> Nate is to one day get to do a duet with Andre Three Thousand. They both later in their musical careers found the flute. Nate is a great tin whistle player. Somehow his relationships have survived his learning this <laughs> instrument, which at the early stages is not always pleasant, and he has become a very beautiful flautist. I relate to Andre 3000. You know, it takes a lot of courage to come out as a flute player in this world. Flute hive, rise up. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was a very good choice. You all have given me very, very, very good picks for your favorites of this year. What about you, Brittany? Well, I, my number one favorite of this year, Victoria Monet's Jaguar 2. Yep. And now it's yep. been nominated for seven Grammys, including Best New Artist, Record of the Year for On My Mama, which is a huge hit. I put that on my own. She made this really fun, breezy, sexy R&B. And so I thought the songwriting was fantastic. The production, it is so perfect. It is so sleek. One of the seven Grammy nominations that she got was for, I believe, like Best Engineering for a non-classical mm. album. And you can hear it. It is something that it sounds good in in like whatever crappy little earbuds you have. <laughs> it sounds good in your car. It sounds good on like perfectly calibrated speakers. Like it's an album that absolutely stands up. You really hear that on, to me, the, the penultimate track of the album. It's called Hollywood. I'm a product of Like that song in particular reminds me a lot of like the quiet storm listening that I did in the car with my parents Mm. when I was growing up. So that was like probably my number one most favorite album this year. Another new album that I loved from this year was Raven by Kalela, who we actually had on the Mm. show. I had a great conversation with her earlier this year. But something I didn't find out until after I interviewed her was that actually a friend of mine from college was actually featured like there was this rap verse i was like oh i was like i love this woman i love her i love this verse like this sounds so good your bestie <laughs> yeah that's my friend Ra Ra Gabor. but yeah i just i thought that like the album itself was so beautiful she has this most beautiful like songbird voice she knows exactly how to layer it I have been a longtime fan of Kalela, and so I was really excited for this album. And I've been listening to it. I've been bumping that all year. So yeah, those were like my two of my mm. favorite albums of the year, and two Love of it. like my most listened to artists according to Spotify. Which again, they didn't put Steely Dan in there, so I'm like, <laughs> can I trust you? Can I trust you? <laughs> 
Nate, Charlie, thank you so much for joining today. There, there is like nobody else that I wanted to talk to about oh. this year's music more than you guys. <laughs> Brittany. So thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all ours, Brittany. Your musical analysis is like PhD level. So, we're, oh my always, gosh, y'all are gassing me up. Yeah, y'all are come back and switch on pop. <laughs> Nate will give you an honorary degree. Be perfect. That's right. That's y'all heard right. it here first. Thanks again to Charlie Harding and Nate Sloan. You can find Switched on Pop wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Liam McBain. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. What's happening on NPR Podcasts? Money. Power. Tacos. White collar crime. Green parties. Black reparations. More of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant place. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Want all of NPR without relying on your radio? Visit NPR.org to be connected to your local station wherever you are and wherever the news takes you. Get your vital mix of rigorously reported local and national stories all live, free, and at your fingertips at NPR.org. NPR.org.